0: we now turn to our scripture passage for today, which comes from Mark chapter seven, verse one through 13. And to just give you a backdrop of what's been going on is that as Jesus has been revealing who he is through these great miracles, uh, more and more people have been flocking to him and gathering to him. But you know who doesn't like everything that's going on about about Jesus' ministry? The scribes and the Pharisees. That as Jesus gains, uh, uh, popularity, and people see him, and everything that he's doing, they witness the great acts of God. It's the scribes and the Pharisees, the devoted ones to God, that don't like what Jesus is doing. Why is that? We're going to dive into it because a lot of what this has to do with was is with an understanding of worship. And at this passage here, it says that the Pharisees and scribes come from Jerusalem, So they mean serious business. Why is it that they are so bothered by Jesus? Why is that? And so let's look at our passage today. Uh, Mark chapter 7, verse 1 through 13. And if you're able, can you please stand with me as I read God's word? These are God's holy, inspired, and life-giving words. Let's give them our full attention today. and you hold to the tradition of men and he said to them you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition for Moses said honor your father and your mother and whoever reviles father or mother surely must die but you say if a man tells his father or mother whatever you would have gained from me is korban that is given to God then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. Amen. Thus goes the reading of God's word. May he continue to bless for us as the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Friends, please be seated, and would you join me in a word of prayer, seeking for God's blessing for his words. Father God, as we come before you this morning, help us to understand what it means to truly worship you. It's something that maybe perhaps many of us, we do every week, but yet we don't think about the practical implications of what that means for all of our lives. And so God, as we come before you, in the simplicity of this room, of just hearing your word, we pray that your spirit would genuinely create in our hearts a heart of worship for you. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to ask you this question. Uh, Do you guys feel like you know your spouses very well? Do you really know them? Do you understand them is the better question. Do you guys feel like you know each other? Because after like 10 years of marriage with Kathy, there are moments where I still can't understand her. It's quite difficult. And when we get into points of like conflict and differences, she's such a big person of Enneagrams that tell your personality types. She's a huge advocate for that. So whenever I can't understand her, I go back to the internet, I research her Enneagram, why she's uh, like this and XYZ. But it still doesn't help me, you know? It's quite difficult to understand a woman's heart. The thing is, the way that you relate to God directly impacts how you relate to everyone else. And the thing is, if you only see one aspect of God, it really affects how you do relationships in general. So for instance, if God, your view of God is a demanding God, then as long as you get all your tasks done and you get the right things done for him, that's all that matters. And so all that matters to you, you just do tasks. If your version of God, he, he's the nice God, he's always smiling and accepting, but then when time comes uh, for, for you to speak up against injustice, you think to yourself, oh, I don't want to rock the boat. Even if you don't believe in God, the reason why is because you have a conception of what God ought to be like, and that shapes how you do relationships too. How we relate to God really impacts and affects how we do relationships in every single one that we have. And like all relationships, it's not one so one-dimensional. It's always complicated. And so in such complications, how do you connect with people? Well, it requires us to connect with God first. And this passage, it shows us What does that really mean? What does it really mean to be so connected with God, to truly understand Him? To be in what the Bible, or in in theological terms, what it means to be in communion with God, and how that's supposed to impact and reflect in all the relationships that we have in our lives. We're gonna look at three things here. We're gonna look at first, knuckling ourselves in our relationship. Secondly, what it means to notice. And last of all, what it means to draw near. Knuckling, notice, and nearness. Let's look at the first part, knuckling. The Pharisees and the scribes, right, they're sent from Jerusalem. They mean business. And so they're trying to bring Jesus upon some charge, some indictment. So what's their opening statement? Verse 5, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but they eat with defiled hands? their point of contention is about hand washing. And and the thing is, I'm all for personal hygiene, but the thing is, to make this something unlawful, something condemnable, that's a little bit much. And the background here is that uh, the only people that were required to actually do this kind of ritual cleansing of hand washing, according to Levitical law, was only for the priests that served in the temple. Those are the only people that were required to do these ceremonial cleansings and washings of handwashing. But these scribes and the elders, they subscribe to the traditions of elders. Meaning, we all have someone in our lives that can be a little bit extra. You know what I mean? We all know someone that's a little bit Extra. Like if you go work out with them and you're exhausted and the workout's done, you have that friend that will do the extra mile. Or maybe you have a, a, a mom friend who literally just does everything for their kids and for their self-care and, you know, they have all this fun and you're just thinking, like, how do they do it? They're like super moms, extra. Scribes and the Pharisees, they're extra of extra. See, they, they not only do the hand washings, but they kept up the same energy when it came to the, the, the cups, the pots, the copper vessels, and the dining couches. So you begin to wonder, why are they so intent about these ceremonial cleansings that's not really for them? See, the main concern in their tradition, at least for the Jewish uh, belief, is that, uh, it was to be, they wanted to be far from being defiled and have a deep cleansing of their soul. And what the Jews understood about the purity laws is that it was an act of clinging to life. An act of clinging to life. This is why the scribes and Pharisees were extra. Even though the law didn't apply to them, they were clinging to life on their own terms. See, in verse 3, when it says, For all the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash. If you have your Bibles, there's a little footnote that some of you might have, and it says that they literally, they washed with their fist. Meaning that they're scrubbing their hands so hard, they're kind of like knuckling it in to get rid of all the filth. And it's a fitting expression of how so many people understand God white-knuckling ourselves to believe. Here's what I mean by this. like The idea, it, it kind of looks like this, that in order for us to be right with God, we we got to get rid of all our addictions, whether it's a drug addiction, whether it's a secret addiction, something secret that we've been harboring, or I should read my Bible more, uh, and I should pray more, or i got to be better with my family. Hey, don't get me wrong. Those are all great things. They're even biblical. But when we start from that, when we start from all these things, uh, that's the way that I can be right with God. None of these things can make you right with God. Only God can make Him make you right with Himself. That is essentially the difference between the gospel and all the religions. That the gospel says only God can make you right with Himself. It is what He has done for you in Jesus that as Romans 5 8 puts it, but God chose his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When you believe this gospel, all the things that were mentioned and then some no longer become tasks in order to be right with God. Instead, they become avenues for how to love. That's the essential difference here. See with all this white-knuckling business the the Pharisees and the scribes they think they've done this deep cleansing of their souls and Jesus says they've barely even scratched the surface he quotes Isaiah and he describes what their spiritual lives are really like verse 6 this people honors me with their lips but their heart it's far from me in vain do they worship me teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Man, it's such a tricky place to be in to have your heart feel so far from the person you're supposed to love. There's this uh, marriage therapist named uh, John Gottman, and he's this uh, guru uh, of some sorts, and uh, you know, I highly recommend all his books, and one of the facts that he reveals about his research in his laboratory is that the number one reason for why divorce happens to begin with, you know what it is? It's not an affair, it's not financial problems, it's simply this, drifting apart. Drifting apart, that's all it is, the number one factor for all couples, this drift. That our hearts can be so far from the person that we're supposed to love. You know, when I first got married, um, marriage was really fun, um, and it was you know, really enjoyable. And then I had kids, and it became far less enjoyable. We keep it real at New Life Fremont. That's not to discourage anyone from having kids, but it's reality. A lot of suffering went through that. And you know, during that phase when your kids are really young, you're just doing what you can to survive. You know, and as as like a first-time parent, I I feel like in my mind, okay, I'm like doing all these things for my family and my spouse. I'm you know cleaning a lot more. I'm taking care of the baby. I'm doing all these things, and I'm white-knuckling myself, uh, convincing myself I'm doing the right things. But for some reason, I feel resentful. I feel less connected. Why? I'm just focusing on surviving. So we like hash things out, you know, Kathy, uh, Kathy and me at uh, one moment, and she just says, you know what? I'm super thankful, honey, for all the things that you do, and none of those things are, are small to me, but really what I really want is just to have fun together. It's for these little moments as we're walking by the doorway, a small affectionate touch or a gender, gentle care, tender care that, that you're still thinking about me in these small little ways to notice these things about each other. At the time I was young, I had no idea what she was talking about, but the older I get, I realize what she means. Noticing the small things it's huge. It's important. They're, the 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 scribes and the Pharisees they miss the whole point because they lack what God uh, what God wants us to see, what God wants us to notice, which brings us to point number two. Notice in this Isaiah passage, the thing that are connected, the things that are connected together, is that hearts being far from God is connected with vain worship okay, hearts being connected to God, or hearts being far from God, there's a connection, there's a correlation between vain worship. I'm not just talking about what happens at church on Sundays, but how you live your life intentionally with God. And it truly starts with how you worship here. Listen, I I get it. Like, the way we do worship, it could be a little bit rigorous and and not as emotionally, like, um, free-flowing and all that. I understand that. I get it. But there's a reason why we worship the way that we do. There's something in church called liturgy, which means that there is a set order for how we worship. And they all mean something for our lives. Like, for instance, at the very beginning, the call to worship. You know what that is? It's God welcoming us. Dude, in the first thing in the morning, imagine yourself waking up to someone scowling at you. Would you like that? No. But in the call to worship, it's God genuinely and sincerely saying, man, I'm so happy you woke up today. Uh, uh, The day has been created for you. It's been made for you. Let's do life together. In, In the praise portion, what is that all about? It's the fact that we have been created, we live for to praise our God. Not just with our vocal cords, but also how we do our work to do it to the best ability because we want to reflect how good of a, uh, how good God really is in our lives. And then there's the, the time of renewal where we confess our sins. It's all relational. It's about not trying to always be right, but making things right together. Learning how to say, I'm sorry is far more important than being right. And so it's there, confession of sin. And the sermon, it's a conversation that God is having in our hearts and lives to direct us, to guide us, feed us. And then there's the Lord's Supper, the communion, as a reminder that every time you eat your food, there is true living bread that will sustain you. And to top it all off is the benediction, of God's blessing in your life. God telling you, I'm committed to you. I will empower you. Let's do life together. Liturgy is really about telling a story of who God is. And our life is one of liturgy. Question is, whose story are you reflecting? Whose story are you reflecting? Jesus calls out the hypocrisy of the scribes and the pharisees, and it's all about worship. He says in verse 9, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandments of God in order to establish your tradition, that in all the extraness that appears to be godly, they're doing the exact opposite, whereas the scribes and the pharisees, they bring up human tradition Jesus quotes from the Bible, and he specifically mentions the fifth commandment, which is about honoring your father and mother. And the issue here is this idea of korban. What does that really mean? Basically, whenever uh, someone wanted to dedicate a specific donation, maybe it's uh, livestock or money, the person offering it will label it korban. And that specific offering was dedicated to God whatever they used it for, the temple or whatnot, and no one else could touch it. So some of the people with uh, aging parents, instead of caring for them financially, they would dedicate that money to God. And you have to keep in mind here, there's no such thing as retirement plans or pension plans back then. The financial aid of the children was their retirement plan. And so it had to be a pretty big lump sum all dedicated to God, korban. This grandiose gesture in the eyes of men, but despicable in the eyes of God. Because according to God, honoring your father and mother was equated to honoring God. That the basic understanding is that when your parents would no longer be able to work, that the children would not neglect the ones who literally brought them life just like God. There was a serious breach of a commandment. God doesn't need grand gestures or korban. This is why Jesus brings up the fifth commandment. He doesn't need these grand gestures. He just wants us. Worship is noticing the small gestures of God, how he shows up in our everyday lives. See, in my culture, um, there's this idea of loyalty, absolute loyalty towards your parents, almost to a flaw. doesn't matter what your parents are like. In my culture, you were always loyal to your parents. And there's good things about that, but then there's also bad things. And so within that culture, I, I overheard a brother talking about how amazing his dad was and how he was, was the best dad ever. And then someone just asked him, oh, what, oh, what that must be amazing. I wonder what this dad must have been like. And he asked him, oh, what, what did you and your dad talk about? And the guy says, what talk about? We never talked. I thought, that's a strange thing to say. Like, how is he the best dad? You know? Because... I feel like in that mentality, it's just all about as long as your parents provide the big things for you, a home, food, big things, good things. But that's not everything, is it? That we need to also connect in the little ways, the small ways. I came back from a funeral yesterday. It's my friend. He's only like 26 years old, died from cancer. And... Um, they were doing the funeral service and everything, and it's been a while since I've seen an open casket, and as I was walking up to say my final goodbyes and you know, bring some closure, I noticed that they dressed him um, in a Lakers jersey. And I found this incredibly endearing. Because most of the times when I think about open caskets, everyone's always suited up in a nice uh, suit or a dress. But it was a Lakers jersey, number six. And I thought these parents, they were truly honoring their son because they know him. They must have had the small, seemingly insignificant conversations. And yet they knew. They knew this about him. This is truly our son. We want to honor him in this way. Why? Because they're connected. They're connected together. They have the conversation. What is worship other than to have a conversation with our God? Worship is about dry, a means to draw near, a means to invite God in the everyday ordinariness of our lives. Last point. Worship boils down to just one thing here. Look at verse, look at this verse. Thus, last verse here, thus making void the Word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. How do they make void the Word of God? All it boils down to is this: they fail to communicate. They fail to communicate. Make no mistakes about this. These guys, the scribes, the Pharisees, they probably know better uh, about the Bible more than any of us collectively together know about. They know their Bibles have backwards and frontwards. They memorize every single word in the Bible there is to know. They're not illiterate about when it comes to the Scriptures. But you know what it probably was? The problem is why they misconnect, why they can't connect to God. It's because there is a world of difference. Between listening to solve and listening to understand, God is meant to be understood, which is a lifelong practice. It takes daily communication, and it's not easy. That's why the Bible is filled with language of seek Him, constantly seek Him. It's filled with this language. See another part of my culture is also that food is one of the big love languages it's not just uh, it's not a common thing for parents to verbally express "I love you to their kids instead, the verbal equivalent is "Did you eat did you eat?" I went to visit my parents also this past week and um uh, before uh, the kids start school and everything, just to spend one last time together. And while we are spending that time, uh, my mom started making us food. And the thing is, my mom has never cooked us food in the entire time I've been married or had kids. Never once. She'd always uh, you know, order takeout and all that because I know deep inside, she knows, she's not a good cook, okay? Don't tell her I said this, but it's true. And she cooked this pot of curry, and, it, you know, and she dished it all out for the kids and me. And I was eating the curry. The, the potatoes weren't cooked, and the carrots weren't. But you know, mom asked, oh, how is it? I said, mm, it's super good, mom, thanks. And it's all prepared for us. And I was thinking, why is she cooking for us? The other thing about my mom is she has Parkinson's. So I can notice as she's cooking, her hands are just shaking as she's trying to do it all, but she's determined to cook. And I realize, even with her Parkinson's and lack of culinary skills, she just wants to make sure that my family knows, did you eat? Did you eat? The thing is, in all the ways that we can fail to understand God in our lives, and a lot of times we can be so neglectful of Him in our lives and all the ways that we do these things. Despite all of that, God will never make void His words for us. That He promises to always be with you, never forsake you. He promises you that in Philippians 1.6, I will be, I, when I start my work in you, I will bring it to completion. He promises to you I will be your rock, I will be your refuge. I promise you all these things, and I will never make them void. How is this possible? Because there's a God who truly understands us. There's a God who understands we need grace that he doesn't just say the words, but he demonstrates his heart for us. And Jesus understood the heart of God perfectly, that the core of his own Father's heart, who has it all, and yet with everything that God has, he says, but I want you. I want you in my kingdom. That's what God thought it was important to draw near to us. At the cross, God's heart drifted away from Jesus because of our sins, so that he can draw near to us. Friends, if that is God's heart towards us, then may we heed his voice of what it means to seek him, to seek him daily, and what it means to have an enriching liturgy that reflects the story of who God is to us. Lord, as we come before you this morning, sometimes we can just go through the motions of what worship is supposed to be, and we forget that at the heart of it all, there's a God who isn't heartless, but is full of his heart, shares it with us, even to the fact where your heart is torn at the fact that Jesus, you died on the cross for us. No one can imagine what that's like And yet for you to actually consider us in our lives and to understand our hearts and the way that you shape it and the way that you create it, it's all about thinking about us. It's not thoughtless. Lord, in whatever confusions we may have about you in our lives, we pray that your Spirit would help us to see, to fall in love with, to be in awe and joy and wonder, Of who you are in Christ. Thank you for your new mercies that are made for us every single morning. Teach us what it means to reflect a liturgy that expresses your grace and mercy. We pray these things in Jesus name. Amen.